We are delighted to see each one of you here this morning as we worship our God together. If you're visiting with us, and I see some who are visiting with us, we're delighted you've come to worship with us as well. And if you haven't done so, I would ask that you would sign our guest book, which is there at the back door before leaving this morning, so we can have a record of your attendance. The back of your bulletins are the announcements, and uh, they're not that many, so I'll let you read them uh, later on. But as they apply to you, I would, I would make mention the ladies' Bible study is this Saturday, so keep that in mind, ladies, at the home of Joe White. And then you can read the other announcements. Um, if you came because you heard that we have lunch afterwards, you came the wrong Sunday, I'm sorry. Uh, we're not having lunch afterwards this morning. We had brunch, uh, but we'll continue that next week, and there will not be a 145 service this afternoon either, so keep that in mind. Well, as we give ourselves now to the worship of our God, I would remind you of the message that the angels gave to the ladies when they showed up at the tomb looking for the body of Christ. And the angel said to them, He is not here, for he is risen. Christ is alive. Amen. He has risen from the dead. We celebrate that this morning. We really celebrate it every Lord's Day morning that we serve a risen Savior. Will you just take a moment to prepare your hearts to meet with our living God. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship coming from various texts of Scripture about the resurrection and the living Savior that we worship this morning. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with the responsive reading. I am the resurrection and the life, 
says the Lord, and those who believe in me shall live, even though he dies. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end.
standing for prayer. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are and how blessed we are that we can assemble here again this Lord's Day morning as believers in our Lord Jesus. Because we were not merely lost sheep that had gone astray, but like the prodigal son, we were guilty of open rebellion against you, wanting all the wondrous blessings you give, but living in defiance of you, the giver. But because you are rich in grace and mercy, rather than giving us the eternal death we deserved, you gave us forgiveness of sin and eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus. Not because of any good in us, but because of his perfect life, his atoning death on the cross, his resurrection the third day, and his ascension into glory. So we who are in Christ ask that you will be pleased to be present with us and that our worship will honor and glorify you rightly as we are led by the Holy Spirit. May your word be proclaimed with power and accomplish your purpose as it goes forth. And if there are any here outside of Christ, may today be the day of salvation, that they will no longer be dead but alive, no longer lost but found. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now take your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace hymn book, the hymn 184, 184, come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king, 184, hymns of grace.
Well, if you're visiting, it's our practice to read consecutively through the New Testament in the morning service, and uh, our consecutive reading today is Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, and I think this is probably one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. It's likely even unbelievers, many of them, have at least heard of the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And many of us likely have heard many sermons preached from this passage. Nevertheless, I'd like to condense as briefly as I can what Dr. MacArthur says about it in his commentary, which is that this trio of parables is not so much about lost sinners represented by the sheep and the coin and the two sons, It's more about the rejoicing of the Heavenly Father in contrast to the disposition of the Pharisees and the scribes who were murmuring and grumbling because tax collectors and sinners were coming near to hear Jesus. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Isaiah chapter 55. And if you've been to our house, you may have seen that we have it above the doorways in our back entryway. And it's always amazing and humbling to read verses 8 and 9 that say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, or, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it's because verses 8 and 9 are specifically referring back to verses 6 and 7 right before, which say, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is what the Lord Jesus is saying to the scribes and the Pharisees and to the tax collectors and sinners and to us in these parables. Your thoughts are not my thoughts nor are your ways my ways. Return to the Lord, and He will have compassion. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon, and there will be rejoicing in the presence of angels. So Luke chapter 15, Hear now the word of the living and true God. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to Him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost while he fi- until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance or that think they need no repentance. For what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into the distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, and you, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This morning as we seek our God together again in prayer, we especially want to remember the Yulebergs who labor in Bolivia for the advancement of the gospel. Let's seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are for the reminder this morning in the reading of your word that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We thank you for the reality that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners unto himself. And Father, we know that your word tells us that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your word reminds us that the wages of sin is death, separation from you. But we give you thanks that Jesus Christ came into the world, leaving all the glories of heaven to be made in the likeness of man, and to die a cruel death, 
the death of the cross. We're thankful that on that cross, that one who knew no sin became sin for us. And we're thankful that the righteousness that He so rightly wears is the garment of righteousness that all who turn from sin and come to Christ in faith receives. So that we don't have a righteousness of our own, but we have the righteousness of Your Son, and therefore we have been reconciled to God. Sins are forgiven. We bless You for that message. We bless You that we can proclaim that message here, and it's being proclaimed around the world. We bless You that it is a message that is never worn out. It is a message that is from the beginning to the end. That Jesus Christ died, was buried, and He rose again. And how thankful we are this morning that we serve a risen Savior. And Father, we pray that that Gospel would go forth here and around the world. We think especially of the Yulbergs there in Bolivia. How we thank You for them and for their labors. And Father, we pray that You would continue to bless as they seek to establish churches. We think of the camp ministry that they're engaged in. We know that they've worked with many teens. And and pray Your blessing upon them and upon that Word that in the end, many will be added to the Kingdom of God through faith and repentance. Watch over them and care for them. And thank You for their willingness to leave home and family and that which they're familiar with in order that they might share the Gospel with others around the world. And now, Father, how we pray that again You would come and and by the work of Your Spirit among us and, and through the living Word of God, may Father come and do us good. May the Spirit of God make the Word of God effective according to the various needs of those gathered in this place this morning. As we ask all these things in Your Son's name, Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity Hymn Book, the Trinity Hymn Book, turning to Hymn 204, 204, Alleluia, Alleluia, 204 in the Trinity Hymn Book.
take your copies of the Word of God and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Begin reading at verse 1. I will read down through verse 12. Luke 24 and verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping down, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what has happened. As we come to this passage of Scripture, which gives to us the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there are many individuals that are set before us with this event. First and foremost, there is the Lord Jesus Christ, who... who should be the focus of our attention. He's the one who died and rose again. Timothy tell, or Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So we have Christ. And then we have Mary Magdalene. We have Joanna. We have Mary, the mother of James. These three wonderful women who, who took the initiative on the first day of the week to make their way to the tomb in order that they might rightly prepare the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is these ladies that the angel said to them, Why are you seeking for the living among the dead? Why would you come to a cemetery to look for someone who's alive? 
The women are puzzled by this. That they saw him die, and they saw him placed in that tomb. And now an angel says to them, He is not here. Why? Because he's risen. And he's alive. There, there are the disciples, the ones to whom these women ran to report all that they had just witnessed, all that they had just heard. These men, listening to these women, talk about how this dead man is now alive. Listen to her with a sense of, this is crazy. This is nonsense. And they did not believe at first. And then in particular, with all the disciples gathered in this place, there, there are two that are mentioned here. In Luke, one is mentioned, but we know two of them got up and they ran to the tomb. And Peter is one of those that ran to the tomb. And so this morning, it is Peter that I want you to consider with me as we think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter gets up and runs to the place where they have laid the body of Christ. And as you think of Peter running to that tomb, I, I want you to do so under four heads. I want you to consider with me, first of all, the, back, the background to Peter and what has happened prior to this taking place. So, the background. Uh, secondly, we, we will consider together the reason. Why, why does Peter run to the tomb? And thirdly... We will consider together the reaction. How does Peter react once he gets to the tomb? And then finally, Peter's response. So four things. The background, the reason, the response, and the reaction. Now, follow me as, as we sort of take this journey together. First of all, the background. What has taken place prior to this day, the first day of the week? Let us take a moment to remember and consider the recent past of Peter's life. On Thursday of this week, that is the first day of the week mentioned here in Luke 24, on Thursday, Peter and the other disciples had joined Jesus for a Passover meal. It was on this occasion that Christ makes it clear that one of those disciples sitting at the table was going to betray him. He, he, he was going to be a traitor. Christ says to them, Behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. 
And you remember the reaction of the disciples? The disciples, it says, began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be. Who was going to do this thing? Is it I? Am I the one that would betray my Lord? Matthew 26 tells us that on that occasion as they're sitting around the table, Jesus makes it clear that, that He's about to die. Their Master and their Lord says that He is about to taste death. We read, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We're not going to be drinking this again until paradise. Matthew goes on to record that Jesus told them these words. Now, you can imagine that they're with their Master, they're with their Lord. He, he said, I'm going to die, and now He looks at His disciples and says this, You will all fall away because of Me this night. And every one of you will turn your backs on Me. Christ tells them that's a fulfillment of prophecy. I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. You're, you're all going to leave me. And then Luke tells us that Christ addressed Peter personally. And he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brother. Peter, Satan's going to go after you. Satan's going to seek to destroy you. Satan's going to seek to make you fall. Christ warns Peter... And how does Peter respond? <laughs> Peter says, listen, I, I'm willing to go to prison for you. I, I'm willing even to die for you. I would never turn away from you. Matthew tells us that Peter's reaction was, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And from there, they go to the garden. And there in the garden is Christ is communing with His Father. The disciples sleep. And Christ asks them to keep watching and praying. Pray that you will not enter into temptation. And, and now Satan begins to Sift Peter. And, and suddenly they look up and there's a, there's a large crowd coming and approaching them with clubs and with swords. The Bible says they laid their hands on Jesus 
and seized him. And you know what Peter does? Peter grabs his sword and begins to flail it. And he ends up cutting off the ear of the slave of the high priest. And Christ says to Peter, Hey, Peter, have you forgotten who I am? All I have to do is call to my Father. And there could be 12 legions of angels coming to rescue me. That's all I have to do. Put your sword away, Peter. So what does Peter do now? He flees. He flees and and he decides he wants to watch things happening from a distance. He he doesn't want to get too close. So so he watches from a distance. And then what happens next is recorded over in Luke chapter 22. If you want to turn over there, Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 55. We'll start at verse 54. Having arrested him, that is Christ, they led him away and brought him to a house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them, and a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight, And looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he, that is Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are the one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And about an hour had passed, another man became too insistent, saying, Certainly this man also, that is Peter, was with him, that is Christ, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said to him, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Peter had said, I'll never deny you. Mark it down. It it will never happen. And our Lord says to Peter, he warns Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, it will never happen. I will never deny my Lord. And now we read, he denies the Lord three times and the rooster crows. Verse 61, chapter 22. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? I mean, first of all, the Lord would have been, he's been beaten, he's been slapped. No doubt, blood was all around Peter says, I don't know this man. And he looks up and his eyes catches the eyes of Christ. And what does that look mean? And we read, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter 
new great sorrow and guilt. A little while later, Christ would make his way to the cross. And Peter would have gotten word, Christ is dead. He died a very violent and painful and agonizing death. And Peter, we heard him say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And and he breathed his last. His heart stopped beating. Christ was dead on a cross. And what Mark records in Mark 16 is this. That the next days, they were marked by mourning and weeping. Peter lived for two days with sadness and grief sorrow with the reality that Christ was dead. He's in the grave. And Peter feels guilt and he feels shame because he had portrayed the Lord. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with guilt and shame? My friends, that's the background to Peter running to the tomb. But now secondly, notice with me the reason. The reason. Now we come to the first day of the week. The women make their way to the tomb. We read in other accounts that in the midst of going, and they have all their spices together, and they want to properly prepare the dead body of Christ for burial. So they have all these spices, and they're heading to the tomb. And as they're going to the tomb, suddenly they realize, you know what? There's a big stone in front of the tomb. How are we going to get in? What are we going to do? But the amazing thing was that when they got to the tomb, the stone is rolled away. And upon entering the tomb, they they saw two men standing there. And that's when the question is asked. My paraphrase. What are you guys doing here? We've come to prepare properly the dead body of Jesus Christ. Why would you come here? This is a place where dead men come. The one you're looking for, and what glorious news this was. He's alive. He's not dead. 
He is not here. He has risen. And the ladies go back and they report that Jesus Christ is alive. His tomb is empty. Luke tells us the reaction of the disciples. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. And they did not believe. But Peter got up. And Peter ran to the tomb. Why? Well, in answering that question, listen for a moment to Mark's account to what happened when the ladies went into the tomb and saw the two angels. Mark says this. Now, now I want you to know that Mark's main source of what he is writing is Peter himself. Remember that. Because here's Mark's account. It says, Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But, listen to this, but go to the disciples and Peter. Go to the disciples and Peter and tell them he's He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Mark's account, perhaps given by Peter himself, was this. When those angels spoke to those ladies, they said, listen, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter gets a personal invitation. He's the only one of the disciples mentioned by name. Go tell the disciples and Peter. The reason Peter ran to the tomb was because he had a personal invitation from the living Savior that he had betrayed and denied. And he runs there. Because no doubt, up until this point, Peter perhaps wondered to himself, will I ever know forgiveness? Will I ever be freed from the guilt of denying my Lord? Will I ever get rid of this shame that I feel because of my denial? He spent two days weeping and mourning over his sin. And now word comes. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I will meet them in Galilee. And he runs, he runs to the tomb. 
I wonder if Peter wondered how how in the world can you tell a dead man you're sorry? How in the world do you ask forgiveness from someone in a tomb? Pastor Ted Donnelly, in his book, Peter, the Eyewitness of His Majesty, wrote this. The days immediately following the crucifixion must have been among the darkest of Peter's life. His master had died and had been buried. On the night when Peter denied him, they exchanged a look but had not spoken together. Peter had had no opportunity to tell Jesus how sorry he was and to ask for his forgiveness. And now it's too late. He may have hoped that he had glimpsed mercy in the eyes of the Lord, but he could not be sure The memory of his sin filled him with guilt and haunting regret. But now Peter hears he's alive. He's alive. And Peter ran to the empty tomb because of a personal message from the angel delivered to him. There are two words that Peter would never forget. They're they're inscribed on his memory in, in, in letters of gold. Go tell Peter. Go tell the disciples. And Peter. It's his name alone that's mentioned. And with that, Peter is moved from a position of disbelief and shame and guilt to a position of hope. There's hope. And I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you're you're living with a sense of shame and guilt. You know... You've offended a living God. And sometimes that shame and that guilt seems to weigh heavy upon you. And you wonder, how do I deal with this shame? How do I deal with this guilt? And people turn to all kinds of things trying to deal with their shame and their guilt. Drugs, alcohol, immorality. And none of those things work. And the only thing that will relieve the guilt and the shame that comes with our sinful behavior is running to a living Savior. And there find forgiveness. He, he's a compassionate. 
Christ doesn't say, tell the disciples in Peter, because I want to ring Peter out. He doesn't sell, say, go tell the disciples in Peter, because when I get a hold of him, I'm going to pour out my wrath upon him. Jesus Christ is a compassionate one. He's a one of mercy and, and of grace. And he stands ready to forgive anyone who comes to him. In fact, the amazing thing is that when Jesus was on the earth, he ministered to sinners. And the religious people were like, whoa, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. But he came because he came into this world to save sinners. And Peter now has hope. What a change from living in despair and misery to having hope in a living Savior. So why did Peter run to the tomb? Because he had a personal invitation from a living Savior. And how does he respond? That's the third thing. His response, the response. And perhaps a, a fuller detail is given to us in John's account. Look over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting in verse 3, we read these words. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, the other disciple being John. Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than, than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him, and he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen's wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed." For as yet they did not understand the Scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So what's his response? What's it? He, he, he runs to the tomb and, and he looks in and, and he sees these wrappings that they wrapped a dead body in. And they're all folded neatly and laying there. And, and the thing they placed on his head, it's also lying there. It wasn't that somebody had stole the body. If they had stole the body, they wouldn't unwrap it before they stole it. It is one who is alive. He's no longer dead. And Luke tells us, Peter marveled. Peter marveled. Peter realized if Christ is alive, there's hope. There's hope for him. Hope to be forgiven. Hope to be restored. Hope to have the guilt removed. 
And he enters. And he sees an empty tomb. He's alive. What difference does it make whether Jesus remains dead or Jesus is alive? It makes all the difference in the world. Because in Jesus Christ conquering death and being raised to life by the Father, the Father is indicating the price has been paid. And I accept the payment in full. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says to us that Christ taking the punishment that His people deserved is recognized and accepted by God the Father so that no more payment needs to be done. The assurance that I have that my sins are forgiven and I've been accepted by God through faith in His Son comes in the reality that Christ rose from the dead. If He has not been risen, our faith is useless. And there is no forgiveness of sin. That's how important the resurrection is. Listen, that's why we gather every first day of the week. I know our calendars say Easter. And if you're like me, I I, I was struck by this. I simply looked on Facebook this morning. You know what I saw over and over again? He is risen! He is risen! He is not here! He is risen! Why do you look for the living among the dead? Post after post after post. And I thought to myself, this should be filled every Sunday. Because every Sunday we recognize we serve a living Savior. That's why we gather together now. On the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And so, and finally, notice his reaction. His reaction, Luke says, he went away to his house marveling at what had happened. The term that is used here, marveling, is a term that is used primarily concerning the miracles of Christ. When Christ performed a miracle, the people marveled. Peter now marvels. This is an amazing thing. His master's alive. In just a little while, when, when I go to Galilee, I, I will see him. I will touch him. I will speak to him. And Peter goes from a sense of hopelessness to being amazed and marveling. Christ is alive. In days to come, Peter will confess his love. Lord, You know all things. You know that I love You. 
In days to come, Peter will be commissioned by Jesus. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. In days to come, Peter would be bold for Jesus. Peter would proclaim the gospel to others. We read there in the book of Acts how, how he preached Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, and, and many heard and believed. And Peter, by and by, will die for Christ. His living Savior. And Peter is a reminder to us all that shame and guilt because of sin can be rightly dealt with in a living Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say something. The empty tomb is a most glorious sight to a believer. It's my hope. Because He lives, I shall live also. May, may, may we never lose the wonder and may we never quit marveling at that reality that Christ lives. The living tomb is a glorious sight to the believers. But let me say this. The empty tomb ought to be the greatest terror to an unbeliever. The empty tomb should scare you like nothing else. Because the empty tomb means that Christ is alive. And if you continue to live without Him, your destiny is hell. Separation from God. And so I, in some ways I find it amazing that all over the United States, all over the world, people celebrate Easter. And what a wonderful day it is. Because it's the day that Christ was raised from the dead. And many who stop and ponder that ought to be fearful. How, my friend, do you think you're ever going to be reconciled to God? You think your good works, you think somehow the things you do is going to make you right with God? You, you think because you're not as bad as other people, you're going to be right with God? It won't work. We're all sinners. The only way a man can be right with God is in the living Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I'm here to tell you, He is a compassionate Savior. He is a loving Savior. And He's ready to embrace anyone who comes to Him in faith and repentance and is able to remove the guilt of of sin, the shame of sin. He's able to remove all that and give you a new life in Him. Here's the question then. What will you do with this living Savior? What will you do with this living Savior? Some of you will walk out of here and He won't mean any more to you than He did when you walked in here. You don't care about a living Savior. You don't want a living Savior. You want no one to be your Lord and your Master. You want to rule your own life. You want to live the way you want to live. And in the end, I'm telling you, you'll lose. And would to God that some of you, even this morning, would begin to think seriously about This Jesus Christ. And why did He come into this world? And why did He die? And why are we celebrating? We're celebrating this reality that it's not because of anything I've done that I can be right with God. It's because of His finished work on the cross. That's my only hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. That's it. So my friend, what will you do with this living Savior? He's not meant to be just a good example. He's not meant just to be someone that we imitate. He's not meant simply to be a good teacher. He has came into the world to be the Savior of sinners. And all who call upon Him, He will in no wise cast out. So even this morning, sitting right there where you are, you can have dealings with a living Savior. And He stands there and gladly embraces you. And you may say, oh, Pastor, you don't know what my past has been like. You don't know what I've had to live with. You don't know what I've done. I know this. You might might be right. I don't know what you've done. And you don't know what I've done. But I know there's only one way to be forgiven. Only one. And that's through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We serve a risen Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are so thankful for the events that are recorded in the Word of God. When we think of a man like Peter, who even denied his Lord three times, and yet he found forgiveness in a living Savior. Father, we're thankful for what Jesus Christ accomplished. We are thankful that that he died on a cross. We're thankful that 
at one point, he took our sins upon himself and cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and he had the, the full cup of, of your wrath poured out upon him for his people. And Father, how thankful we are that Christ died that he breathed his last breath and was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he walked out of that tomb alive. And that through this living Savior, we can know the blessings of sin forgiven, of guilt removed, of shame done away with. And, and there's a new life afforded to us in Jesus Christ. And for many of us this morning, we rejoice in that reality. We, we rejoice that we're numbered with the children of God. But there may be some who sit among us who do not have that hope. And how we pray that this morning would be a day of salvation, that this morning their eyes would be opened, and that they would run to you and find you a willing Savior, willing to forgive willing to remove sin as far as the east is from the west. But, Father, only you can do that. And so take your word and do that work. Give the increase that only you can give. And in doing that, may you receive all the glory and the honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let us take our hymns of grace and turn to 308. 308 in hymns of grace. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. 308 hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
God. We have a living Savior. I trust you have a good rest of the day. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Zoom on Wednesday. And then next Lord's Day as well. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. You are peace. Thank you.